Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and today Dr. Wiles, Katie Reed Hodges, and myself have a bit of a more rambling conversation about the Spirit and Sunday's sermon, but we hope that it is formative for you and that it just continues to invite you into this life that's following the Jesus way. Okay, we're back in the studio for another episode of Tell Me More. And we're finishing up a series on the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why does it matter? And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And this one is particularly about, I think, uh, the Holy Spirit in the church in terms of being empowered and sent. Mm -hmm. And so it felt a little bit like Missions Month. (laughs) Imagine that. I'm a fan. Shouldn't every month feel a little bit like Missions Month? Yes. Yes. I think Ashley Berryhill was pretty (laughs) excited that— that it had a feel of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, highlighting what we're doing missionally, right. reminding people that they're empowered and sent. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think your engagement team would be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Proud. Good. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Luke says yes. And there's a method to the madness, you know. That was to get us ready at some point for our conversation in November. Imagine that. <clears throat> Mm. Prime the pump. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you covered a lot of ground. That's the thing. <laughs> yes, Where do we even start? So, yeah, yeah. Just, as I said before we hit record, it was like six mini sermons. Uh-huh. Yeah. Six yeah, it was good a, little homilies. Kind of a, a conglomeration Sunday morning tree. No, it was good. It was and, a good and way and to wrap made, up. It mm-hmm. all made sense. It all like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. So, okay, can I start with a question? Please. When, please, when, Katie. When, Thank Please you so tell much. me more. I mean, Thank, ask me more. Sorry. Ask me more. That's my role. That's my role. Just facilitate. Uh, so when you start, you're, you're preaching John 20. So we're mm-hmm. getting to very close to the end of the end of the story, right? Right. And you decided to kind of highlight um, women in the book of John. Mm-hmm. And you you paused on Mary Magdalene particularly. Correct. And so can you tell us why you did that? Well, first of all. Just because it's there for the taking. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, you preach the text. It's in the text. Yeah. The fact okay. that if you want to um, get the context of Jesus appearing to the disciples in this room where they're behind a locked door, well, what led up to that was this incredible experience that morning of, you know, the women going to the tomb, the women going to the mm-hmm. tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, which is mm-hmm. what they were planning to do. And when they get there, the tomb's empty. So, um, you know, it's, it's, so she, presumably other women, but John highlights Mary. They run to tell the disciples, and then Peter and John run and, and see the empty tomb, and they leave. And then, of all things that happens next, which I find quite fascinating, Jesus chooses to appear as the resurrected Lord for the very first time to Mary Magdalene. And I just felt like, that at least needed to be pointed out because he's about to appear to the disciples in the upper room, but he's already made an appearance. He's made an appearance to the folks on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. as best we can tell also. But it's fascinating to me that, that there he appears to Mary Magdalene. And, you know, sometimes I think we read these stories and we read them so quickly, we don't pause to take in the intentionality of the author. So Mm -hmm. here's John writing in a very patriarchal society in the first century. And he knows, at least according to Josephus and others who've told us, 
you probably weren't going to trust the greatest news that you've ever chosen to reveal to women Mm -hmm. in the first century for a number of reasons, Mm -hmm. except Jesus did. And, And then, I don't know, as I was reading through it, I thought, Mary Magdalene, I hope my people remember who Mary Magdalene Mm. is, Mm. because she's very famous. She's mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. Mm. But she was a demon-possessed woman, Mm. seven demons, uh, according to Luke. And not only that, she, along with some other women, (laughs) who were also troubled by spirits, were delivered by Jesus, and traveled with Jesus, according to Luke, uh, because that's come up in this— this TV show, The Chosen, I've mm-hmm. had church members mm-hmm. ask me, why are all these women traveling with Jesus when he's with his disciples? Well, the reason is, is because that's exactly what the Bible says. the scriptures says. tell us that. <laughs> there were women traveling with Jesus. And um, so, and not only that, they were financing the ministry of Jesus, according to Luke. Right. And then that just led me to think, well, let's make sure everybody knows the the, the role that women played in in the earthly ministry of Jesus that was, to me, was very significant. And Jesus made a point, it seems to me, to communicate that his um, message was for everybody. So the woman at the well, I just felt like I needed to mention her also, a, a woman that's unnamed, but she gets an entire page in John's gospel, if you think about it, and gets some very lengthy discourse between mm-hmm. her yeah. and Jesus, a conversation. Significant story. Yeah. And he tells her point blank, he's the Messiah, right. which he rarely did, at least according to the re- biblical record, but he did with her. And then she became an evangelist, and she went and told women and men <laughs> in her village about Jesus. And uh, so just wanted to, um, and, and I, I'm not, I would, I would almost say, con- I don't know that context is king. I used to say that. Mm. I don't. I don't know if maybe that's too strong, but context is important. In my Baptist family right now, there has been debate about women, both in the Southern Baptist context and in the Texas Baptist context. And um, I just want to uh, do it in a very natural way, which seems to me is indigenous to our church. When you need to talk about something, there are things that are just right there in front of you that are that need mm-hmm. to be talked about. So I just decided to go ahead and make sure everybody understood the value of women in this story and that it's done is shared intentionally, but it's not just shared intentionally. Jesus did it intentionally, which to me is something worth noting, in my opinion. So, yeah, if we're going to follow Jesus, yeah. it turns out we're going right. to take it seriously when right. women preach the gospel. Right. Why, why didn't he appear to Nicodemus? I mean, if I were in charge, okay, let's just say Dennis Arles is in charge of the resurrection appearances, and you know, I'm mm. sitting there at the tomb. Tell and, us everything. Yeah, and Jesus. Walks out of the tomb, and I go, okay, here's the deal. First thing we need to do is go to Nicodemus right now, because this is, this is a game changer. I'm just telling you right now. And he says, oh, I think I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and appear to Mary Magdalene. I'd probably go, no, seriously, here's the thing. That this is, is gonna, not that, good publicity. No, and yeah. it will mean nothing. <laughs> so, but Jesus turns out, doesn't, he didn't take counsel then from people like me, nor does he now. <laughs> and I'm glad. So turned out okay. Yeah. The story. It's fascinating to me and worth noting. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it's, we've heard the story before. Mm -hmm. It's not new anymore. That's right. Most of us. You read through it pretty quickly. And so you don't necessarily study every name Mm -hmm. and give it the pause Mm -hmm. that it deserves, right? That's right. Mm. So unless your pastor makes you. 
mm, when he preaches right, which it. Which I think is good for you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so. um, and then you hop into the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Or at least then you, you focus in on John 20. Right. Mm. And not the larger scope of John. Right. So. Yeah, and Jesus just appears, which is, again, fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Just, just, I mean. Just shows up. <laughs> just, you know, yes. And, uh, and there they are, <laughs> afraid. We talked about that Sunday morning. I think a lot of people relate to that, to being afraid. Did yeah, you? yeah, and you mentioned uncertainty. Yeah. That was, a, that was a word we were kind of yeah. circling in here. I, I think that's at the heart of a lot of fear, don't y'all? I mean, when, it, when mm-hmm. you just, sometimes you're afraid of something you know. I, I get that. If there's something you know is looming, but sometimes it's still laced with some uncertainty. Yeah. How's yeah. it going to play out? And so um, there's just um, there's just a lot of that with, with people. And I think it creates a lot of anxiety. Um, and, and, and maybe, I don't know, do people distinguish the difference between fear and anxiety? I'm sure they do psychologically. I think I've heard it described as... Fear is, you know, there's a bear. I need to yeah. get safe. So right. it's a response to a present yeah. threat. Right. Whereas anxiety is, if there was a bear. Yeah. Right. What would I, you know? Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And so there's that sense of uncertainty. And um, I just wanted to at least capture that moment and, and also to do it in a way a little bit to defend the disciples and these followers. I, I think sometimes we read this and we think, well, are, y'all, are y'all not paying attention? Jesus told you he was going to be resurrected from the dead. But I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in their shoes. Had I heard that, I would have known what to do with that. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? It's never happened before. Right. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm. and, and I've just seen him die. So I know he's dead. And and now the tomb is empty. And I'm thinking, okay, who knows what the Sanhedrin would do? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a wild card at this point. Mm-hmm. And who knows what mm-hmm. Somebody else, some radicals may have done. I mean, you got the zealots. You, you got all these factions, you know, in Israel at the time. I, I'm thinking I would have been sitting there having a conversation. If we were all in, I'm thinking about y'all are my friends. We're fellow disciples. We've been following Jesus together for a while. I can just only imagine us sitting in the room. Going, what do y'all think happened? I don't know. What do you mm, think? I don't know. Crazy Why idea. is the tomb empty? Yeah. I'm not sure. That's a crazy yes. scene. Correct. Right. You know, and I can just wow. see one of us going, well, actually, you know, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I would probably, I think I would have been one, one of the ones who would have said, seriously, that's, mm-hmm. so that's what you think. Mm-hmm. Well, where is he? <laughs> you know, I mean, we're his closest friends. Surely he knows we're here. Why ain't he here with us? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just only imagine. I mean, I know, I feel like we do life together. We would be having those kind of conversations mm-hmm. with each other. And I we think would. that's what they were doing. And I would have probably said, y'all did lock the door, right? Because, dude, mm-hmm. you know, you think we're not next? You think they don't know who we are? I mean, I just wanted to kind of defend them a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just contextualize a little yeah, bit. Yeah, this was a real thing. Yeah. And, um, and then all of a sudden, there he is. And, and, and he's there. I love how Jesus does it. It's, it's just so real to me. You know, he just he shows up and says, well, first of all, peace. But then he says, here, I mean, look at me. I'm I'm in the same body. It's just it's just wounded now. It's scarred, resurrected, but obviously, you know what I've been through. To me, that all that did was underscore the reality of of this moment for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's why for people like John, all these years later, I can almost sense when he's writing this, maybe he's dictating this. I don't know. But I just feel the emotion of it and the mm. reality of it, mm. that he lived through this. And this this is the one thing that's going to change John's life. Mm. And so he's telling us about it. 
I appreciated a line that you said um, yesterday. You said, I love John. Mm-hmm. I, I heard did. you say it. <laughs> I did. Yes, I do. I've come to, I've come to deeply appreciate yeah, John. It only took to page 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say I this about him. John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that because I have Luke, Matthew, Mark, it, it does make John m- more meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not to disparage him. If uh, What if we only had one gospel? Well, this would be enough out here, and I would love it. I would think, man, what a great story. But I'm glad I have Matthew and Luke and Mark uh, to help contextualize some of what I read in John, and the reverse is also true. Mm-hmm. But uh, John's a great storyteller. We got we have to give him that, and he's a, he's an intimate storyteller. I like that about him. And uh, So, yeah. But yeah. So when you talk about uncertainty, you've painted the picture well in the, in the New Testament, in this context, in the story, but— you also talked about uncertainty in our current reality. Mm-hmm. And the that one that's, true religion of the 21st oh God, century when is uncertainty. What a line. I know. It's crazy. When, when I read that, I thought, what a— And to think that, you know, like when, when the, the, she said that in her article, I wish I had religion when my, when my mother was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I would have an illusion, yeah. the way she put it. Yeah. But, but she was honest enough to say, I love honest agnostics. You know, mm-hmm. she was honest enough to say, this is really all I have. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I've got to learn how to somehow manage reality with just uncertainty. I think she has spoken for a swath of people because I think that's where many people are in our society today. You know, they don't have any, they don't have a bedrock. No. You know? and, uh, and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, right now, uh, many people in our family, many people in our circle know that uh, our daughter has cancer right now. Well, that's created a lot of uncertainty, you know, for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 36 years old, four children. This was not something that we anticipated that we were sure. going to have to deal with. Yeah. And it has definitely introduced uncertainty into our family dynamic. But what I'm grateful for is that in the midst of it, I do have a deep bedrock faith that I can draw from and the eternal perspective that I'm convinced of that contextualizes how at least I personally manage my way through that as a dad, you know? Right. And so it's it's real to me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about some abstract theological concept that yeah. at some point may have relevance in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm living this right now. Mm-hmm. So I understand it. Yeah. There there's some tremendous uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's some people, uh, I'm thinking of James Davison Hunter, who's a sociologist of religion who, you know, has written about how, it used to be the case that there was a shared sense of what he would, people would call meaning making, mm-hmm. that there was this grand story, Christianity, that kind of dominated life in the West. And so people generally at a societal level were able to make sense of uncertainty and kind of map out this moral meaning and make sense of tragedy and uncertainty and mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. But as the great dechurching, which you referenced, has come about, as we've moved into a more secular and more pluralistic culture, mm-hmm. there is no overarching narrative. Mm-hmm. And he would write that that's why you're seeing the extreme political polarization. It's because people are now using politics as a way to try and create a societal level of meaning. Um, but we don't have that. And so that leads to uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And then you have different ideologies competing mm-hmm. for the kind of overarching story that mm-hmm. helps us make sense of life. Mm-hmm. Um which just further exacerbates the problem. Exactly. And you know, what's interesting is, as I've thought about it, um, I, 
you know how how we respond to um, things that happen to us or around us. First of all, says a lot about us, but I think it also will have impact on what happens in the future. So, for example, right now, um, and we are reading this book, The Great Dechurching, you know, where this research has been revealed that about 40 million American adults have just stopped going to church in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so in this book that we're working through, he's, he's just showing us some hard data just about who these people are, why they left, uh, et cetera. Um, and, all, and to me, what it's done is it basically has just given some credibility of what we all kind of sensed, you know, what we've kind of felt uh, as we've been watching. So with that said, I think now the question is, how do we respond? How does the church respond? And so the series that I'm about to start this coming Sunday morning, which is connected to this last sermon mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, church. Yeah. Why does the church matter? Mm-hmm. Is uh, is actually? You want to give us a teaser? Why does well, it matter? What I'm what I'm hoping is, and I know this won't surprise y'all since you know me, but I <laughs> see every challenge as an opportunity. You know, mm. and, I think that's healthy. Uh, so he's an optimist. One of my we know um, this. Yeah, one of my thoughts is this just might be one of the greatest opportunities for the church in the last hundred years or so. Amen. Um, particularly in the West, is how I would look at it. We now have the opportunity to truly communicate who we really are and that Christendom was a reality, but at the heart of Christendom is actually the essence of Christianity, the real message of Christianity. And so it's not developing a political system as its primary focus. It's not... um, um, trying to develop some type of Christian nationalism. It's not about it's the exercise of power. Correct. Earthly power. Right. And we have an opportunity right now to actually demonstrate who we really are. And so to me, what the church, at least my take on what I plan to do, I don't believe the answer is to preach at the culture. Um. Or to be angry with lost people for acting like lost people. That that just doesn't seem to ever be the answer. But actually helping to produce dynamic, fruitful followers of Jesus who do bear the character of Christ in their personhood and who live in communities where that is valued and promoted. And it's the extension of who we are. And mm. it explains why we do things See that—that's what I intend to do: is that um, to not be angry with the culture, and and I've had to um, I've had to deal with some of that in myself. You know, just like um, you know, I was I was born and reared in the Deep South in the Civil Rights era. Okay, now there are certain things about my heritage that I'm very proud of and very grateful for. So, mm-hmm. with that said, you love Alabama. You love I, Auburn. I do. We I know mean, this. I, I grew up in the state of Alabama. I've got. I love sweet tea. I love soul food. I love deep South Alabama cooking, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm an Auburn Tiger to the core. I, I love some of what what was around me. However, I also grew up in a very racially charged environment that, when it was pointed out. 
for what it is. Like last night, Cindy and I uh, watched Hidden Figures again. One of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite movies. I'm, I've always it's been a great movie. I've always been a little bit infatuated with the whole NASA thing. Mm-hmm. So pastoring in Huntsville, Alabama. You're from Alabama. Yeah, it was interesting. Valid. So, but regardless. But one of the things that, one of the lines in that movie, um, is it Olivia Spencer? Is that her name? Octavia? Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Octavia. Mm-hmm. This white lady who kind of oversees her at some point in the movie looks at her and says, I just want you to know I really don't have anything against y'all, you people. And Octavia looks back, her character looks back at her and says, thank you. And I know that you really believe that. And kind of smiles. But in other words, the point was, you really do, but (laughs) you just don't realize it. So when that kind of thing was pointed out in my culture, I was just a little boy. Man, the reaction against it was so violent. It was just just, uh, so defensive and fearful that no, that's not who we are. We're not prejudiced people. We just think black people have their place. Not that we're prejudiced against you. Because those are the kinds of things that were said. Well, think about that. It's not that I'm prejudiced. You just need to stay in your place. Well, who keeps you in your place? Well, we do. People in power. It's part of our job. I look back on that and think, wow, what a terrible reaction to a real issue that at its root is just evil. Mm-hmm. That's really what racism is. I don't care where it exists. It didn't, the South didn't invent it. Y'all know that. I mean, it's been around a long time. Biblical. But there are ways we perfected it. Biblical. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Let me, Absolutely. Yeah. So, but there were some, though, who began to recognize, you know what? This, this is not right. And even the way we're responding to it is not right. I can't even remember my own dad who was well-versed in that society, grew up in the deep south in Georgia, moved to Alabama during the war. And so when when our school was integrated, I may have told you all this story, but um, um, it was a very challenging time. But um, we had, uh, when I was going in the fourth grade, we had two new teachers come to our school um, we had already had several new ones, but two new ones in particular, and they both were African-American. One of them was a young woman, Miss Buford, single. And my dad went up to her at the original PTA meeting and said to her, he handed her our phone number. And he just said, I can only imagine what it must feel like to be you. And he said, as I was sitting there listening to you talk about your background and now your desire to come teach at the school, I kept asking myself, what if this were my daughter, a black woman in a predominantly white school district, in a predominantly white school, right out of college, first job, staring at a group of parents? I wonder what I would want my daughter to know. And he said, so here's my phone number, and here's what I want to tell you. If you ever have any issue in this school, anything ever is a problem for you, call me. I've, I've been here a long time. This is my fifth, fourth or fifth child, you know, to be in this mm-hmm. <laughs> in this school. I, I, I want to be an asset to you. But when I got into mm-hmm. her class, I was automatically her pet, and mm-hmm. I thought it was me. I thought it was because I was so good. I mean, that's how I, I mean, saw it. On. Oh, obviously. And when I graduated from the eighth grade, she sat down with me and told me that story. Mm-hmm. She said, do you know why I treated you special? She said, I didn't mean to, but I couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. And she told me that. And she had a little crumpled up piece of paper that she had kept in her wallet, that my daddy's phone number. She said, I never had to call your daddy, mm-hmm. but just the fact that I could. Well, I feel like that inside of my dad, even way back then, was this sense of, no, we can't, we can't, can't keep responding with so much vitriol and anger. 
We've got to be relational and be who we're supposed to be. So when I'm looking at us today, the church now in the 21st century in the West in 2023, and we read things like the Great Dechurching, we could panic, we could freak out, we could get mad, we could we could start pointing mm-hmm. out the ills of society. Well, yeah. look what's happened. No wonder. We're and we de- do those things. Yeah, yeah we, we, we're dechurching, so look look mm-hmm. what's going on. Well, and you can— Examples everywhere. And you grasp at power. I that's mean, that's right. a— You do. People do and try I, and to I manipulate. Realize, I was just going to say, for me personally, my own personal journey, I've already been through the journey of dealing with racism, mm-hmm. okay, to where I felt like God had to, first of all, convince me that I had prejudice in me. That's where it started. I had to admit, you know, actually, end of the day, I, I still can be pretty—this is years ago, okay? I can still be pretty prejudiced. So I had to go to the Lord and say, Lord— you're going to have to take this out of me because it's, it's it was hardwired into me mm-hmm. without even, I don't know that it was intentional, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? God's done that for me. It was, a, it was a journey. It took a while because I had to start watching myself and holding myself accountable. Okay. Well, I find myself on a similar journey right now mm-hmm. because I've got a little bit of that in me of going, mm, man, I'll tell you what, I need to point this out. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this makes me angry. I'm frustrated. And um, and so if I'm not careful, I can spend my time on Sunday morning preaching to the people who are never going to hear a word I say anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then you just get a crowd riled up correct. for no reason. And feed something in them that's already in them. And the anger is coincidentally one of the things that is driving de-churching. Yeah, absolutely. So I've just been convicted about that for me personally as your pastor, mm-hmm. that, okay, a part of my responsibility right now is to know the time I'm in. Mm-hmm. And decide now, how do I respond to this time? And um, and so to me, what does my culture need? I would tell you it needs fruitful, dynamic followers of Jesus who bear the character of Christ. Mm. So for our people listening who we've we've talked about before, I, I picture them, you know, I've got this little cast of just really committed. It's our, mm-hmm. it's our people at, at, at its best, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know what about this podcast just brings out the best of First Baptist Arlington, but no, I'm just kidding. But I just see, you know, people that talk to me about it. Right. And so, I mean, what would you, that's coloring your preaching. That's right. But that's also who you want them to become. Absolutely. So you're talking about how you want to be thoughtful about what mm-hmm. the messages you're crafting and what's going out from Correct. the pulpit, but they're listening. What do you, I mean, what do you think for them? Is it like, we also might be asking of them. Make your priority not to win a culture war, mm-hmm. but to be formed in the image of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? That's I'm trying exactly to, I don't right. put words in your mouth, but right. kind of what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. You have a task in preaching and shepherding. Right. They have a task in living this out. In living out. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, they are our people, many of them who I guess are listening to this podcast. Yeah. In theory, people actually <laughs> the ones that play are, this. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. hello like hundred ish downloads a week. Isn't that wild? Just an echo. Is hello, hello. Hello. Yeah. It's I mean, just us. Just the three of us. <laughs> but <laughs> it never I leaves around. Them, though, my people are the ones who are out there in this culture. So right now I'm in, I'm in the studio at First Baptist Arlington today. They're teaching school. They're practicing law. They're raising their children. They're moms who are shepherding their kids. There are dads that are doing that. There yeah. are there are, you know, grandparents. Uh, there yeah. are people out at the gym right yeah, now. Work, they're everywhere. Workplace. Yeah, they're all over. Social clubs. Taking walks around the neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. They're just scattered. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, a lot of they, them are listening when they're walking around yeah, the neighborhood. That's right. Driving to work. Yeah. So I would say to y'all, um, let's, let's together be thoughtful and ask ourselves this question. What does my society, and I'm talking about, when I say that, I'm not talking about necessarily with the capital S. I'm talking about the one I'm in, my culture, my society, my circle. 
What do they need to know about Jesus in the church? What is it they really need to know? What do they need to see and experience for themselves that might give them pause to go, huh, I guess I didn't know the church was really like that. Or I didn't know Jesus was like that. I'm not saying that we watered down the gospel. Y'all know me better than that. that that's mm-hmm. not the answer to just If Dennis Wiles ever waters down the gospel yeah. and accommodates culture, <laughs> right. well, no, it's a fraud, <laughs> right? Say, right, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the invasion of the body snatchers, yes. right? Um, I'll have an exorcism <laughs> but, um, right in this podcast so studio. that's not it. That's yeah. not it. But there's a way to do that and let the character of Christ be developed in you so that you have the credibility to even speak into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, so, so think about those early days when the, those early Christians, Rodney Stark writes about this in The Rise of Christianity. You know, you got the, um, these plagues in those early Christian centuries, and the Romans are scared to death, don't know what to do, so they're just throwing their, literally throwing their family members out on the street. And the Christians, the Christians didn't say, we need to get the government to do it. Somebody, mm. so, tell we need, we need to throw these local leaders out. no. They just went out and got the people and said, you know, we may get the plague. We're hoping we don't, but we're not going to let you die out here on the street. We're, we're just not going to do it. So Jesus would not walk by you and just let you die out here in your misery. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. We will take you in. And that's what they did. And people start watching that and seeing that they're doing it for the right reason and they're doing it in the right way. And, and they, they, were, they were asking questions of those Christians and Christianity began to grow and thrive because of how it behaved mm-hmm. as well as what it believed, because what it believed influenced how they behaved. And they didn't accept everything in the Roman culture. That's not it. And that's where I think we have a hard time today in our culture. We think that, well, if we're going to act like Jesus, well, then we got to accept everybody. Jesus didn't do that. Je- Jesus, Jesus met these people where they were, but he challenged them to follow him. <laughs> you know, he didn't just leave. We didn't tell Nicodemus, hey— I'm proud of you, man. You know, you've made it to the you mm. made it to the Sanhedrin. Awesome. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about this whole Messiah thing. It's not that yeah. big a deal. Plus, it's going to threaten you anyway. No. I mean, Jesus said, you know, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. <laughs> and then in the next chapter, the woman at the well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Come on. You know, watch him. So I'm just looking. I think we have a great opportunity. That's why I'm so excited about us reading this book, The Great Dechurching. I'm sad. I was talking to my brother about it on the phone this morning. But yeah. I mean, and he's older than I am. And and he's looking at it, going, man, what a what a drastic change in my lifetime. I said, I'm agreed. What an opportunity in our lifetime. Can you believe we're still alive right now? Mm, amen. <laughs> and we're going to get to address this. It's fascinating. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. And I want to help continue to build, craft, develop a community of believers who actually believes the the gospel at its core, at its best, and we learn how to just do it on the everyday. And it's and it's supernatural. I can't do. I mean, mm. there's no way that I yeah. could arrive at these right conclusions and have them sifted through my behavior without the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about our people thinking about how they need to represent Jesus in their context, mm-hmm. that's the work of the Spirit, it right? Is. Right in the everyday. Yeah, it's on Monday morning in some meeting at your office, you yeah. know, or you in, actually in, we actually believe that God is with you, absolutely, and interacts through the power with of the Spirit. And, and when they and you know the conversations. I mean, right now, what think about what's about to happen to us. We've got an election coming, okay? Not just an election. We've got a former president that's got like ninety something indictments, okay? We've got a current president whose son is mixed up in who knows what. And 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 oh, I'm sorry. And then there's the question about what he's mixed up in, and everybody's just slinging mud yeah. and throwing stuff at everybody, yeah. and everybody's mad, okay? 
and think about it, y'all. And they're both old. They're both old. I mean, in all, just due, all due respect. Yeah. You oh, know, res- and respect, the millennials are talking about the gerontocracy. Yeah. yeah. All due respect. All of them are. I mean, you look at my goodness, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, and I'm not dogging all these people. These people have served our country. I, I get no. it. I'm fine with these all that. These are just facts. But I'm just saying, Nancy yeah. Pelosi, pick one up. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're all post retirement age. My goodness. Average. And so, um, and been in power for a long time. Okay. Even if you if you factor Trump in, maybe Trump hasn't been in political power all that long, but he's been in a powerful position his whole yeah. life. Joe Biden has been in Congress for, what, 50 years or something? I don't even remember now how long. That's 40-something. I'm just saying, the, these people, and so here we are, and the election is not until next November. Yeah, yeah. people get not ready. this November. Yeah. <laughs> next November, and we got trials and, you know, and so— uh-huh. um, you know, I mean, if I wasn't doing this for a living, I'm telling y'all right now, I would start a a, um, a, an, a late night talk show. What a what a great time to be a late night talk show. I, I think I'd be a gazillionaire as a late night talk show person because I could have so much fun with all of these people because I don't like any of them. I don't, I don't say what I mean is I don't I'm not beholden yeah, to yeah, anybody. Yeah. You don't really identify I don't with like any them, of them. That's not my point. I pray for our president every day, whoever the president is, because the Bible right. tells me to. But my point is. But these are your people. Got, right, I mean, we've got this. We've got this cultural conversation going on that is angry and loud, and it's happening everywhere. So think about all my people. Every single day, somewhere, this is going to come up at, in a, a meeting at the office or in you know some conversation at the ballpark. You, you can't escape it. It's not just politically. It's also ideologically. It's what to do right now in the Ukraine. It's what to do with Israel, with the you know, with the mm-hmm. uh, with Gaza and the Palestinians and mm-hmm. that whole question mm-hmm. and the Syrians and what about the Saudi Arabians and what do we think about them? I mean, there's just uh, I mean, it's even in you know, I'm, I I love sports and so I'm a huge golf fan. Well, even in my golf conversations, you got people who think live is a great idea. Well, it's funded by the Saudi Arabian government. Well, I don't care. You know, the PGA Tour is funded by a bunch of rich, terrible Americans. Well, I mean, so even in my, I can't even have a conversation about golf about your right hobby, now, right, yeah. without having some type of political um, intonation factored in. So all that to say, okay, I've got an opportunity now to somehow find my way as a Christian into all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the challenge right now, and so I would just say, what a what a great opportunity for us. It is. It really is to help shape a church and to have honest conversations mm-hmm. with our people to help them navigate their way mm-hmm. through all this. So, and you threw out some specifics about what we're trying to do, right? To help people, yes. have tools, yes, be equipped, absolutely, be empowered. So, so um, one of the things I believe you need is community. I, I just I just think this is too much to do on your own. Yeah, you need community. The church is that best community. Okay, so that means we've got to try to create the best church possible. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that in the best meaning of that. Yeah, we need to be the church. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's on us. And I don't mean just the staff. I mean us, the church. Yeah. It's on us yeah. to help figure out how to. If do If you this. are a member of First Baptist Church, this yes. is your call. That's right. And so Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on these on these disciples. And and now he tells them, so now, go do what I've been doing. So if you forgive sins, sins will be forgiven. If you don't, they won't. Well, like I said Sunday morning, I think that's been misinterpreted. That's in, that's become a, um, mm. particularly in Roman Catholic theology, it's been woven into almost an official mm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I just don't believe like that's a deputization what Jesus of at all. Forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. I think Jesus is talking more in general terms. Mm. 
Here's what I've been doing. I've been presenting this message, this way of life. And if you choose to accept it, then you know what? God's going to forgive you and grace you and pull you in and give you everything you need to live this life. If you don't, then you just stay in the condition you were in. Mm -hmm. That's the message of the church, okay? Mm -hmm. But the the people need examples of that, though. What is a grace-filled, forgiven, reclaimed, restored uh, um, Christian really look like? Well, let's create a bunch of them and put them in mass production. (laughs) Remember, um, what was it when, um, you know, when the Church of England— was kind of taken over and there was all this all these questions about what needed to happen with how the church was going to work and how the how the government was going to function and um and the um uh, the I think Oliver Cromwell said well let's just we we need we need some um financial resources he said let's go to our churches and get all these statues and melt down all this gold and everything we mm-hmm. have and somebody said well you can't you can't you can't melt down the saints. And he said, well, let's melt the saints down and put them in circulation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's almost like we need to create some saints and get them in circulation, right. which is a bottom-up kind of approach, a ground-up approach. Now, does that mean that I can't be concerned about m- larger political issues when I go vote and I'm in a free society? Well, not, I'm not arguing that at all. I'm just saying that that's not my primary function, though, as a leader of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, That will play out in due time if you get the right kind of people scattered and salted through the society. In due time, that kind of has the influence. Like Jesus said, a little bit of leaven goes a long way, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I believe that. Um, But he also said if the salt loses its savor, well, then— What's a good point? That's right. It just mixes in. So if I just mix in, what good am I? I was talking yesterday with some people experiencing homelessness, and they're getting help at the shelter in town. And mm-hmm. I thought, I think that some First Baptist people helped start that. They did. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, to me, that was, mm-hmm. I was grateful that mm-hmm. so many years ago, somebody in our church had a conviction in their heart to help people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good example. You can disagree on policy or how we mm-hmm. get to a better society. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have good people in our church just trying to help people. That's right. Mission Arlington, my gosh. Yes. All uh, walks of life. I women, mean, I'm talking about our church. Women's shelter. Yep. Christian Women's Job Corps. I mean, we can go on and on, but <laughs> oh, these absolutely. are— Absolutely. We, but we're, we, the people of First Baptist Arlington, may not agree on how to vote to get where we want to go. Right. But we're all going to show up, hopefully, at our right. best, to these types of endeavors. Right. Because we just want to right. do good in Arlington. Right. But you I'd know? say this, too. I think it's focusing on the right thing. Because I think there's a tendency—one of the reactions that's possible to this de-churching, to secularism, to pluralization— and it's promoted by some people is basically like it's time to hunker down, batten mm-hmm. down the hatches, I'm like an isolationist, and just we're going to close ourselves off. Right. The, that is a real thing that there are Christians advocating for. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those people. Right? Surprise, surprise! Your community engagement right. coordinator is not one of those people. <laughs> and I would say this: if you think that you're called to be salt, whether you are salting a steak or I'm from Missouri, so I think about salting roads mm-hmm. in the winter. But whether you're salting a steak or a road, you don't leave it in the bag or the box. Mm. You mm-hmm. spread it out. Mm-hmm. You don't leave it in a heap. Mm-hmm. You spread it out. Mm-hmm. And salt works. Mm-hmm. Yeast works mm-hmm. when it is spread out. And that's ultimately, I think, when I think about table groups, what I'm trying to get our church to do is we want you to go be salt and yeast and light in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. in your workplace, wherever you live, work, or play. Go be salt. Go be yeast. Mm-hmm. Cause that ferment. Mm-hmm. Cause that salt. Yeah flavor what's around you. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is to me, you know, 
you think about our kind of institutional commitments as a church, just the way we do church, you know, we're going to have our Sunday morning life here. Mm-hmm. We are. It's, it, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's just at the heart of who we are. So these table groups to me are very different in the sense that it's, it's going and you're basically doing something that you're, you've got some natural ability already. I'm an expert at eating. You know, I'm not, I'm not the greatest food connoisseur in the world, but mm. I pretty much eat mm. every day. And I also like to talk to people. And I enjoy people in a home setting. I live in a home. I have people in my home. I go to other people's home. I eat food. I talk about things that matter to me. Mm. Well, those are very natural things. Yeah, you got that down. <laughs> yeah, you got that down. <laughs> so, it's pretty human behavior. I was about to say, so think about table groups. You're basically taking something that we're all actually already pretty good at. Eating, talking, being at home. Uh-huh. And use them for the glory of God and to extend the mission of Jesus. I think in some ways that's how the early church did it. You know, I look I look at, uh, you know, Paul writing. Every year when I go to Rome, I love to get there a little early and, and we walk around and just imagine, what did Paul think when he got here? But the cool thing is, is that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome before he ever went there. And we don't even know who founded the church. And I think we would all agree, if you were a missiologist in the first century, you would probably be thinking, I'm thinking, Luke, we'd probably be saying, you know, we need to start a church in Rome. I mean, seriously, it is the, it is the mother city. So we need, to, we need to get a church in Rome. We probably ought to send our A players, don't you think? We mm-hmm. don't need to send, you know, just John and Jane Doe. I mean, this is Rome. We need to, and we have no idea who founded the church in Rome. No idea. It's a nameless group of Isn't people. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking. Knowing it, Jesus, or, it could have been an unnamed woman, who right? Who knows? I mean. Who knows? <laughs> we think <laughs> and, let's send our right, players. You don't right. even, I mean, you don't even know, right? But more than who likely. Who it could have been. It was probably merchants, business people, who mm. knows, slaves who just found themselves along the way in their normal everyday life. And probably mm. what they did when they got there was they invited people into their homes to talk about this as they met them in the marketplace and they had very natural conversations about something that really mattered to them. And the next thing you know, you get little house churches in Rome. Paul writes them a letter. I mean, now it's the seat of, of Western Christianity, at least for the Roman Catholic Church. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that kind of thought. So to me, yeah. the, the table groups to me um, fit into something that just feels very historic, but it also just feels very normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, I, Ryan Chandler, Ryan, uh, our new young adult minister used this image in the young adult breakfast and talking about just breathing in and breathing out. You know, we're not going to give up Sunday morning. That's us breathing in. We want to breathe you in and infuse you with life. I mean, you think about when your body breathes in, your cells oxygenate, and then they get sent back out to the rest of your bloodstream. So we breathe out. We want to breathe you out into the community. And I loved that image that he used. Mm-hmm. It's breathing in. And breathing out, mm-hmm. I think if you're going to use a biblical image, it'd be you cast a net, you throw it out, you bring it in. Mm-hmm. Cast it out, bring it in over and over. And we're just going to repeat that cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it has merit. And so. Well, I think what our book has shown us is that there's har- there is harvest. Absolutely. Right? There are people that just don't go to church right now. Well, they're actually open. Or, or have spiritual mm-hmm. questions, but no answers. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of, well, okay. Mm-hmm. What if I just show mm-hmm. up? Right? right. Yeah. And it's. I just think the opportunity is incredible. And so when Jesus commissions these people, I just want us to feel that commissioning. We mm. have it too. And we have the same spirit. And it's it's our life. It's our job. 
and it matters. I think that's the other thing that I think the great D. Churching points out is that for some reason, there are some churches who've just made it so easy and, and almost just so non-committal to be a Christian. It's like it, it gets lost. It just gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> you know, it's just no different than anything else. And I'm just thinking the message of Jesus is so different than that. I mean, Jesus told the rich young ruler, well, just go sell everything, come follow me. In other words, change your whole life. I mean, if you really if you really want this, change your whole life. He tells Peter, I tell you what, I know you're a fisherman. I get it. And you're married. I understand it. You need to lead all, leave all this. I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. These are life-changing decisions. Matthew, leave all this and come follow me. I get it. It was a particular period in time. I understand all that. But I think the principle is there. Jesus is calling on a complete life change. It reorients my whole life. It's not just something I do. <laughs> you know, this I mean, isn't your hobby. No, I mean, it's a, I mean, I play golf. I'm not a golfer, I'm, but I am a Christian at the core. It influences every single thing about me, every life decision, every day. And so that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and well, it, sometimes that means I make sacrifices for things that, that matter to me that I believe are important that I just do. And it's, and it's not just stuck in a schedule. It, it dominates my schedule. You know, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful in the midst of a, of a challenging time, you know, in our society. So mm. I don't know if that has anything to do with a sermon Sunday, but anyway, well, but we'll, let, where we we'll let the listeners decide that. That's kind of where we are on a, on a Monday <laughs> yep. morning. We yeah. kind of rambled today. A little, a little glimpse. I, Monday you know, morning. we have a very gracious audience <laughs> and I think that they'll enjoy yeah. hearing your heart, your heart, your heart for the, for the people, mm-hmm. for your people. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what makes this podcast yeah, what it is. So. It's good. I love it. Well, yeah. next week we'll jump into the, the, fir- the first right. of nine that's Sundays right. on right. the church. I'm excited. I love that's the church. Right. I'm too. And then maybe in nine weeks I'll love it even more. Yeah. I can't so. know. So <laughs> And our people are going to be studying curriculum together yeah. that y'all helped put together. We did. And, we did. Um, I'm we did. also I'm hopeful about that. Just that shared experience for our people that this is going to be the conversation across the campus life of the yeah. church. It's preschooling up. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, really. How about that? We're doing something. Mm-hmm. We are. All right. Well, we're grateful for you all, the happy, listener. Happy Monday or Tuesday, whenever you listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it really is Monday <laughs> You're morning. You're going to need to take a long walk if this is what you do for your walk today. <laughs> it's good. Get those extra steps in. It's cooler. It's cooler outside. Right. Enjoy it. Listen up. Okay. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.